Welcome to the March 15th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, and the sermon is entitled, The Marriage Under God, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We are continuing on in a sermon series through four books of the Bible. If you are here today, you are falling in the midst of a series through four books of the Bible. We've called this the GE Power Company series. GEPC, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And we have been through the first through book, three books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. We are now closing in on the end of Colossians. These books are certainly actually letters or epistles of teaching and guidance from the great missionary Paul to four church families. Paul, of course, one of the greatest missionaries that the world has ever known a man who was born and bred a Jew, a man who had a Jewish education, a man who felt that he was serving God by serving the God of Israel. His passion was for the God of Israel. As a young man, he was so committed to the God of his Jewish heritage that he saw Jesus the Christ as a traitor, as a fake. I believe it is highly possible, perhaps likely, that Saul, that was his Jewish name, Saul saw Jesus die on the cross and approved of his death. And after the creation and the foundation of the church, Saul did his best to lead the charge from the Jewish population to wipe the church off the face of the earth, persecuting and killing Christians. And Saul led that charge. But then in a regular routine, traveling to persecute the church, going to the city of Damascus, while traveling there, as we see it recorded in Acts chapter 9, Jesus literally speaks to Saul and identifies himself to Saul. And Saul falls on his knees and realizes that he is blinded as he arises. He is led by the hand into the city of Damascus and resides there three days as a blind man, neither eating nor drinking. But on that third day, he surrendered his heart to Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior, and the scales fell off of his eyes. And Paul wasn't just changed, he was radically transformed. His life made a 180 degree turn so that he loved the Savior that he once approved of his death. He loved the Lord of the resurrection that gave him and promised him eternal life. And amazingly, he began to love the church that he once persecuted and tried to destroy. And Saul, who became Paul, realized that his call in life as a man of God and as a saved child of God, even though he felt he was the least of those saved, he was going to travel with the gospel not to his Jewish family, but rather to the Gentile world of the Roman Empire. And he was going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as a pioneer missionary. And he was going to found churches. He once destroyed churches. Now he wanted to plant churches in the Roman Empire to lift up Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the Roman government takes note of his evangelism. And they put him in prison to slow down the evangelistic effort of the empire. And although he is forbidden to travel in freedom, 
the Roman government did not encase or censor or contain the gospel in that jail cell. But rather, Paul wrote letters of support and guidance and blessing to churches and to individuals from that jail cell. He wrote letters to churches to build them up, to give them guidance, to bring them through the rough spots that they were traveling through. As we open Colossians today, this is a prison epistle. Of the four that we've studied through, Galatians is not. Galatians was not written in prison. The other three were. Colossians, a prison letter, a prison epistle, a very unique letter in that this is a congregation Paul had never met. Paul was not introduced to these brothers and sisters in Christ, but he loved them because they had the same Holy Spirit living in their hearts that lived in his heart. And see, so he wrote them a letter, and the reason he wrote this letter is because he had learned that the church at Colossae was in trouble. They had been infiltrated by false teachers teaching lies about Jesus, teaching lies about his humanity, teaching lies about the fact that he took on flesh, the incarnate Lord, so that he could die on the cross for us. Those false teachers were teaching that Jesus couldn't take on evil human flesh, but yes, he took on flesh, lived a perfect life so that he the one perfect human being could go to the cross as a sinless man to die for the rest of us sinners. Our sins were nailed to the cross with him. And Paul came to that truth. Paul wanted the church to know the clarity of that truth. So he writes this letter to teach and to encourage these new believers to live for Jesus alone to follow Him, to honor Him above all things, as we're going to do when America goes to a crisis, we're going to follow and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? We will not back down from following our Savior. Nothing will keep us from doing that. Paul's word to the church at Colossae, among other churches, was keep following the footsteps of Jesus and never back down, never compromise. So he writes this letter to the Colossian church to build them up and to teach them, to give them guidance. Today we're going to study something that is so necessary and so needed. We're opening the passage of Colossians today that is dedicated to the family. Again, it's taken me three books of the Bible and most of Colossians to get to this point. If you're here today as a visitor, this is simply a sermon in all of the series of sermons through these four books. But as we come to this point of the Scripture, it is so necessary in our culture, in our world, in our country right now. I don't think I need to tell you that the family in America is in trouble today. The family is in crisis. As we open this passage, I'm grateful that we speak to it today. The biblical ideal of the family in America is radically challenged in this day and in this age. As I wrote this sermon, as I prayed over this scripture, as I thought about these words, my mind drifted back to some old TV shows. In fact, they really were old enough that I didn't see them in their original state. I saw them in reruns. Shows of the late 50s when I was three or four years old. I don't remember them then, but I remember the reruns. Like Father Knows Best. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. How many of you remember? Oh, bless your heart. We're in the same age bracket. Or you've seen some reruns, one or the other. 
But these family shows of the late 50s and early 60s are described this way on a little Google search that I did about them. It said that these shows, like Ozzie and Harriet, Father Knows Best, epitomized the values of America in the 50s and 60s through the all-American nuclear family. I made a statement last week that I stand by. Our TV reflects what's going on in our culture today. And the TV of the 1950s and 60s reflected about the nuclear family and the importance of the family. Now, it was a bit unrealistic. Let me give you some of the facts about the show that I remember. Here's the way America pictures the ideal family in the 50s and the 60s. The mother of the family is perfect. She cooks the meals and she vacuums the house in high heels and a dress with perfect hair. If you do that, ladies, call me. I want to come see you. Because I've never seen that in my own house. There's a rag tied around her head. She's not here today, I can tell you that. On these shows, the kids are perfect, well-behaved, very little problem other than maybe chewing gum in school. But Dad comes in from work. Do you remember when Dad came in from work? He was dressed like this. Looked like he just stepped out of a band box, you know, tie and coat. And he comes in as the ruler of the nest. And uh, the perfect dinner is not quite ready, so the kids bring him the newspaper and his slippers. And he sits down in his easy chair, and he rears back with the newspaper, and he lights his pipe. And the kids bring him the problems of the day, and he dispenses the wisdom of how to solve all of their problems so that when they sit down to their perfect supper, the whole world is exactly right. Well, we know that's an ideal that none of us have ever lived up to. But the normal picture of the family in that day was that it was one complete unit that got along well. And that's the picture that America saw in that era. The family image has changed so much in 60 years. Sadly, according to the last census, and of course that's been 10 years ago, we've got a new one coming. The real picture of the American family in this day and this age is that over one-third progressing toward half of the families in America are broken. One-third progressing toward a half of homes that have one parent because the other parent has divorced or deserted the family. Most of the older children and the teenagers of our society today are fed on video games and the TV diet of murder and immorality. That's what they're learning as they're preparing to found and support their own families in years to come, the diet of what they're learning is not going to be healthy in the way they're going to raise a family. Four children in America today will die of abuse or neglect. The family is in crisis, and yet the family is still important to our Lord and God. The Lord loves your family. The Lord wants your family to succeed and be happy and grow together 
and minister together under the grace and blessing of Jesus Christ as our families follow in his footsteps. You know, immediately after God created Eve, and Eve was a, a helpmate to Adam, he makes these words very plain about the institution that he created with Adam and then with the creation of Eve. You want to write this reference down. It's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And here are the words. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Their lives will be radically changed because they will be one flesh. They will be one family unit under the blessing in the eyes of God. Marriage, home, and family is the very first institution that God created on earth. And it still has great, great value in his eyes. And so as Paul writes to the church at Colossae 2,000 years ago under the inspiration of God, these words still absolutely apply to us this day. And he begins some guidance with the family, with the husband and the wife, and that's where we're going to stay today. I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, two simple verses, verses 18 and 19. Colossians 3, verses 18 and 19. I want you to hear these words. They're so important in the will and the plan of God for the family. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Two verses. Well, Paul begins by addressing the wife. Why does he begin with her? Well, I don't believe he addresses the wife first because she's the biggest problem in the marriage. <laughs> no, I don't think that at all. <laughs> Believe me. Actually, Paul is building a case. In these two verses, Paul is building a case. He begins with the wife, but he's going to build up to you and me, gentlemen. He's coming toward us. But beginning with the wife, he says, if she desires a godly role in the family, she must submit herself to her husband. Okay, men, before you punch your wife right now and say, I told you I was the boss. Submission is the word. I want to take a look at the root of what Paul is saying here. Submit or subject is the Greek word hupotasso. And it's a military term. It means that you are to stay in the proper order or you are to stay in the proper rank of things in the family. It's not a term of slavery. It's not a term of who is better than the other. But it establishes an order for the family. An order for the family to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And it simply means that in a home that is led by the Lord, the husband and the wife are going to be walked together. But the husband has given the authority by the Lord Jesus Christ that we are to provide the loving headship and leadership of that family. So listen, men, what Paul is saying here to the wife is really a directive to us. If our wife is to be 
submissive to us under the direction of God. If our wife is to follow our leadership, this is not an order from Paul to the woman, to the wife. But rather, Paul is saying, men, you need to earn the right for your wife to be submissive to you. You need to earn her trust. You need to earn her heart. And the way you do that, men, is by following Jesus as your Lord and Savior, establishing the headship and the leadership of the home so that your wife desires your leadership and desires your headship in the home. The true godly home begins with a man who is surrendered to Jesus Christ. And then he is joined by that wife who walks with him step by step, every step of the way. The wife is absolutely equal to the husband in that walk, but the husband sets the pace spiritually of that walk. There is equality in the marriage relationship. But the husband, as spiritual leader of the family, as the head of the family, sets the pace of that walk. It does give the wife direction to willingly give her husband family leadership, and that is without complaint, without trying to take his place. You are to submit to that walk with him. But her charge is also a word of God to us men to follow him as a spiritual leader. And well, now Paul now is going to lift this case to the man, to the husband as he directly addresses us. While we might read these words nonchalantly, we've read them over and over again, and they seem a little bit threadbare. I want you to understand that when Paul wrote these words, and when Paul sent this letter to the church at Colossae, these words were groundbreaking. These words were an explosion on the scene of what marriage truly is. They were life-changing to the Christian men who read them for the first time. If you remember, the wife in that day, 2,000 years ago, was really more property than person. She was more of a servant than a helpmate. She had no legal right in the marriage. She had no possible way that if the marriage really, really went south that she could initiate a divorce. That would not happen in that society. The wife legally could not separate or divorce from her husband. But the husband under the law could initiate a divorce if she burnt the toast one morning. It was that easy. So what Paul says here is amazingly modern and amazingly earth-shattering in that day but it is a truth that applies to this day and to husbands and wives of this day. Look at verse 19 again. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Four words absolutely changed the common mindset of the marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Of course, you know the word for love here in Greek is agape. Self-giving, sacrificial Love for your wife. Husband, love your wife with a servant heart. You've, already, you've always considered her your servant? No. No, from this point forward, you are her servant. 
You love her as a servant. You love her to take care of her. You love her to minister to her. She's not your slave. You are to work for her good. You're to love her with compassion. You're to love her throughout your life with passion. I was looking the other day. Do you know that uh, I have more than uh, 75% covered preaching through the New Testament over these years? Still have a few more books to go. And I'm getting into the Old Testament. I've preached through several books of the Old Testament, including Genesis and Exodus and Daniel. And I love the study of the Old Testament as well. One of these days I'm going to move to Song of Solomon. When I get there, we will see what Solomon says about his wife. This is a song of passion as he looks at his wife. And it gets pretty steamy. Our marriages should be marriages of passion throughout the years, no matter how many years the Lord gives us. Now, the passion may change over the years, but there's still a passion to be together and a passion to share life together. That's the, that's the main point of an enduring healthy marriage under the agape love of God, that there's never a moment where you get tired of being married. Now, every marriage has its ups and downs. Believe me, I know that. Been there, done that, ups and downs. But there's never a moment that you want to leave it. There's a passion to be married. Paul says, love your wife with such commitment that you're willing to lay down your life for her. When he uses the word agape, we think about the way love operates under agape love. It's self-sacrificing. And certainly Jesus established agape love for us by dying on the cross for us. So implied in these words are the fact that, that Paul is telling the husband, you should be willing to lay your life down for your wife. Physically take her bullet if that need ever came. And, of course, he expands on this thought as he writes to the church at Ephesus when he writes it out plainly. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, the same word, but then he goes on, as or like Jesus loves his bride, the church, and laid down his life for her. So he makes it very plain that we're to live on that same level of commitment as Jesus laid down his life for his bride, the church. We husbands should be willing to lay down our life for our bride. Husbands, love your wives. Those simple words lift the wife from servant to princess. From maid to mate. from taken for granted to embraced in love. That's where Paul is going here. And these words fit us. We need to hear them, men. Husbands, love your wives. In the Christian home, we cherish our wife, men, as God's gift to us. Listen to two passages of Scripture, Old Testament. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Psalm 128, verses 3 and 4. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. But as we go back to this study in Colossians, there's one additional statement that you cannot miss before we close this scripture today, these two little verses. 
Colossians 3.19, at the end of the verse, Paul says to the husbands, and be not bitter against them. What an interesting statement that is, that he adds that little tack onto the end of that sentence. Love your wife and be not bitter against her. The Greek for bitter is dikreno, and it means be not sharp with her. Be not short with her. Boy, when I found out what it really meant through the Greek language, my toes started to hurt. Because I think all of us have had those moments where we come into the house and we carry the worries and the pressures and the frustrations and the angers of our day in the world. And we bring that truckload of stuff in to our front door and we dump it on somebody that doesn't deserve to get it, our wife. We, we haul it all in, and she's the one who receives it. I'm guilty. I'm not pointing a finger at any man here. I'm guilty. Our helpmate gets lashed by our own frustrations, and she doesn't deserve it. Sadly, it's just true of human nature that the people we love the most see our hardest edges and our worst moments. Praise God for love. Praise God for a woman's love toward me in Gwen. By the word of God, husbands, let's, let's do something really practical, just really down-to-earth practical. Let's strive to be pleasant. Let's strive to bring home something that's pleasant and thoughtful and respectful, and even let's be fun to live with a little bit. I know life is work sometimes, and life is hard, and, and we go through our frustrations, but let's work on being fun together. Let's bring joy to that relationship of marriage. Ladies, please return that favor too. Bring joy to that relationship. The Bible says we don't drop bitterness on each other, especially husbands to wives day after day. We want to be enjoyable. All of us have our crummy days, but keep the mindset of the love that's between a husband and a wife and live that love together. Well, I pray that this has been a, a good moment of teaching for those of us who are married. There are many of you here who aren't married. Maybe some of you are planning for marriage. Last week, I met a little couple from our congregation. Uh, they're not here today, so I'm not going to announce their name until they get here, but they were newly engaged last week, and I found that out when we were leaving the door here. But some of you are looking forward to marriage as a teenager. One of these days, marriage is going to come for you. Circle these verses. Start to put them in your heart and in your mind as to what marriage truly is. I pray our homes will be godly homes. I pray in this moment of rededication that maybe a husband or a wife or maybe couples will want to come to this altar and say, Lord God, make me the spouse you want me to be. Make us the family you want us to be. Next week we're going to talk about the children. But children cannot grow up in a home that doesn't have a strong mom and dad in a truly healthy relationship. It begins with the husband and the wife. I myself need to come to this altar and say, Lord God, help me be a better husband to the wife you gave to me almost 38 years ago.
I pray that we will have moments of rededication. If it's there in your pew, I'm not ordering you to the altar, but if you want to come, it is certainly open. Just for us to say as husband and wives, God, make us the godly families you want us to be. We're the building block of this country. And our country is losing touch with what a true family is. We need to stand up and say, I want to be that husband, that wife, that family that you want me to be. May God bless us in that. Today, I also say that if you are here without a spouse, if they're not here today, whatever, if you want to just personally yourself dedicate yourself to the role you are to play in your family, you do that. You do that. I pray for this great moment of rededication for us. Will our home, will our life, lives reflect the presence of Jesus there? That's what this scripture is all about. You know, I think it's interesting that our relationship to Jesus Christ is pictured as a husband and a wife. Don't you think that's interesting? The bridegroom and the bride, Jesus and the church. We're, sim we're symbols. Our marriages are symbols of how much Jesus loves his church and how we, the church, are to love him, our bridegroom. And he gave his very life on the cross that we might be forgiven of sin and promised life eternal through his resurrection. Today, if you're here and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, he loves you so much that he went to the cross to take your sin there and my sin there. And you need to acknowledge that and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that you rose from the grave on the third day. I want to give you my life. I place it in your hands. Walk with me. Help me be the man or the woman, the young man, the young woman that you want me to be so that I can serve you, so that I can be your witness in this world as I go out from these doors. God bless you in that. Come to him. Say yes to him. Receive him today. He truly is waiting for you to make that decision. Whatever your need today, our Lord will meet it here. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these precious moments. This is an unusual time in America right now, Lord. And I thank you for the church. I pray that we will stand up strong for you, Lord. In days of testing, in, in days of trial, just pray, Father, for every church, and especially this one in which we sit and stand today, that we will stand up for you, Lord, to be your people in a trying time. We've had to change some schedules around and accommodate things to make sure that our flock is taken care of and protected. But we will never, never cease to be your church. We will never cease to be your ministry. I pray, Father, that you build us up from within. And one of the basic places that you build us up is in the relationship of husband and wife. Bless us this day as we rededicate our lives to being the relationship and the families that you want us to be. We love you, Lord. Bless that one who needs Jesus. May he or she come this very minute and receive you as Savior. We open our arms to them and you open your arms to receive them as your child. Whatever the need, Lord, thank you that you meet it right here, right now, in this moment, in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.